All right, Bitcoin accumulation country, it's Coin Icarus. This is the Fun with Bitcoin podcast, sponsored by Crypto Cloak's 3D printing. Check them out for all your 3D printing needs. We've got a great episode today with Chris Tremount from Scarce.City. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. Joining me today is the co-founder of a very cool, uh, very cool Bitcoin lightning enabled type of um, site, uh, and it's called Scarce.City. And um, joining me from Scarce.City is Chris. So Chris, first, thank you very much for, for joining me on, uh, on the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. I really appreciate it. Corny Chris, it's my pleasure. Good to be here. Very cool. And um, and and uh, before we dive into it, uh, just to explain it correctly, uh, so you you guys do is it lightning only auctions or can people pay directly on chain as well? It's it's art auctions. Yeah. So Scarce City is a marketplace that uses Bitcoin technology broadly to sell Bitcoin goods for Bitcoin. Uh, our product that we're focused on now is what we're calling Lightning Auctions. And this is an auction platform that keeps participants accountable by collateralizing their bids with low fee, instant, anonymous uh, payments on the Lightning Network. Now, that's just the bids themselves. And you can actually place a bid uh, with an on-chain payment under certain restrictions. But then when you actually pay the final amount of the item, if you're the winner, uh, that is usually done on chain because we're 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 dealing with um, higher ticket items here. OK, cool. Well, we're going to dive into it a little bit more later, but I appreciate that explanation. That's fantastic. Um, OK, um, before we dive into the rabbit hole story, I, I have to ask you one thing. Um, probably the uh, the main thing that that attracted me to your account, I, I need to know. Why Tony Danza from Taxi? Uh, <laughs> and you know, it's um, <laughs> not a lot of thought went into this. And it's kind of funny how it's just managed to stay with me and become like a big part of my life in a weird way. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I signed up for a Twitter account, I don't know, 15 years ago or whatever it's been. And uh, I needed an avatar. And, uh, you know, at the time I had kind of an inside joke with a couple of friends about Tony Danza. Probably started with, um, you know, like the, the Elton John song. Uh, Tiny Dancer. You know, Hold me closer. Of course. To, you know, Tony Danza. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was going to music festivals at the time because that was the thing I did, you know, in my 20s. And, at music festivals, everybody has the flag so you can find your friends if you get lost because the cell phone service usually doesn't work. And our thing was we, we had a Tony Danza flag, right? It was just how we found each other. So uh, Tony Danza was an inside joke. And when I was looking for an avatar, it was the first thing that popped into mind. And Tony stayed with me ever since. It's the best. I, I love it. I, I absolutely, whenever I see your avatar, it makes me smile. Um, that's you know that's what I love about it, and that's the thing about Tony Danza. He's just like such a classy guy. It just makes you feel good anytime you, anytime you see his face. It's true. It's so true. And and I have to I have to admit, okay, once you hear um, "Hold Me Close," you Tony Danza, you you can't unhear that. 
like from <laughs> from Tiny true. Dancer. It's I I have I I kid you not. I think the first time I heard it was a uh, a Dead Mouse remix of of uh-huh. Tiny Dancer. Like I I mean obviously I knew I I know who Elton John is, but I just never really you know dug into his entire catalog at all. Um, and I heard that remix of it, and I could never unhear the Tony Danza. So it's it's very true. And now that we've said it, people. People are going to wonder. They're going to go check it out, and they too will be afflicted forever. Yeah, and it's all for the best. <laughs> they can't unhear it. It's kind of like being rickrolled. Um, it, it it really is, but it's like a permanent rickroll. Okay, exactly. So, so yeah, we destroyed Tony Danza there, but we love him. Um, okay, so moving on from the uh, from the Avatar. Um, so let's dive into the uh, the rabbit hole story. So why? Um, how did you get into Bitcoin? How did you find it? Well, you know, looking back on it, I feel like I was predisposed to eventually find Bitcoin, you know, I guess at a relatively early stage. Uh, I was the kid, um, you know, that was always skeptical, questioning authority. I remember, you know, being something like five, maybe six years old, arguing with one of my friends in the neighborhood about how Santa Claus just you know, didn't make sense. <laughs> and uh yeah, I was also a um, an early collector. I collected like rare rocks and uh, basketball cards and, you know, whatever became kind of the flavor of the time as I got older. Uh, and I was also a saver at an early age, you know, saving my allowances from an early age and uh, anything I could come up with. And then, you know, even when I was doing my internship in college, I had enough money to start investing in the stock market. And that was just before the crash in 2008. So, you know, I had enough invested to pay attention to what was going on. And that was my first realization that, you know, the guys with the fancy suits talking all serious, they didn't really have control of our financial system. And it just made me kind of question um, authority a, a bit more. Uh, I think, um, you know, I had heard about Bitcoin probably during the Silk Road days, but totally dismissed it like most. Uh, The big thing for me was it just seemed so impossible that uh, people would spontaneously believe in a new form of money. And also, you know, at the time, it was kind of the medium of exchange narrative that this is going to be used for internet payments. And that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So, you know, went along with things. And um, in the legacy system, you know, the uh, the central banks around the world, they, they continue to kick the can down the road. And it became clear that this quantitative easing, money printing, whatever you want to call it, was not going to stop. And I started to notice the impacts of this on society, specifically, uh, you know, asset prices, making the rich richer and keeping the little guy down. And, uh, you know, of course, that's frustrating to watch, but I was, it was especially frustrating and made me angry uh, as someone who just had a little bit of money in the stock market to know that like, to feel like this is my only option to, as an investor, is to uh, opt into this system, which I don't believe in and I see as harmful to our society. 
so I think I was, you know, I became much more open-minded at that point and was looking for an alternative. So when Bitcoin, you know, came back on the scene and 2017 and you know the uh, the store of value narrative was was uh, well articulated and you know I think uh, I, I read the book Sapiens around the same time so I I, I became uh, more un- understanding of uh, people's kind of uh, inclination to you know make stories uh, create shared beliefs. Uh, through social constructs and money being kind of the ultimate social construct. So the, all of a sudden, the idea of people, you know, suddenly starting to believe in a new form of money didn't sound that crazy. Uh, so all of those things just kind of lined up and that sent me down the rabbit hole. And the further I went down it, uh, I just, you know, made connection after connection and realized that Bitcoin had the potential to address a lot of what I saw as the fundamental problems of our society. And I saw it as, you know, the ultimate protest of consequence. You see people taking to the streets every once in a while. You see, you know, there's new elections. We vote on a different politician, but none of that has a real impact, right? Like uh, not on the foundational level, uh, makes people feel kind of good and gives them an outlet uh, for a temporary time period, but then things go on uh, and continue to kind of build up in what I saw as the wrong direction. And I saw Bitcoin as a way to take power away from that system directly uh, through through the voting of, of money. Uh, and that has real implications. Um, yeah, so once I made that connection, there was no turning back. I really, um, I, I, I like that. I like the way that you, that, uh, that you express that. I have to ask, um, what, uh, what, what were you studying in school? I studied industrial engineering okay. initially. So, so this is, um, you know, it's, it's basically, uh, well, there's different ways you can take it. The way I took it was working for retailers. And again, I didn't have many options coming out of the financial crisis. Yep. Uh, but basically <laughs> I was working for, you know, big, big box retail corporations and working in their distribution networks and helping them get items from point A to point B, you know, quicker, cheaper, safer. That's uh, I, I just, and the reason why I say that, that it's interesting, right. Is because the, the way that you explained it, like, and this was exactly the realization that I, uh, that, that I had as well. It's like, once you get to a point where you've, you've saved up enough money and you, you realize, okay, this money is constantly losing value, which means I have to put this into a vehicle that can churn out money faster than it's being devalued. So you start to look at your options, right? You're looking at stocks, you look at gold, you look at real estate, look, Real estate, it, you know, it's like to a certain extent, um, you know, it's one thing to buy pieces of land, pay taxes on them and hold them and wait. It's another thing to buy uh, active buildings where people are paying rent and to have to collect rent and do all of these things. So it also depends on like how how actively involved do you want to be in in having your money work for you? And, and I think that this is part of this kind of scam where, you know, we, we don't we don't really want to be involved. So as a result, we have to pay this fee. Right. 
Like, if you don't really want to be involved, you have to pay this fee to a money manager, you know, uh, or something like that. Or if you want to hold really big real estate, maybe you have to hire a property managing company to, to handle all of this business for you and whatnot. So it's like all of a sudden there's all this extra work. And I find that Bitcoin does this beautiful thing of, of getting rid of all of that, because not everybody that invests wants to be a prisoner to the, the financial advisor, you know, or a property management company or who knows what. Um, so I, I do think it's it's really interesting that, you know, quite a few of us have found that same thing where, hey, all I want to do is not lose my value, you know, and, 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 and you, you went to right away. Also, I find it interesting, you know, you went to stocks because as we know, stocks, um, I think it's like over any 50 year period or something like that, or over a 50 year period, stocks have the, the highest rate of return. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And it, it is part of what frustrated me also is that, look, if you want to invest in stocks, if you're into that kind of thing, great. If you're into real estate, fantastic. Um, you know, but it is speculation. These are risk assets. And it, it takes a considerable amount of time to invest in them in the right way. Uh, and the way, you know, we have this kind of inflation baked into our money, it incentivizes everybody to become a speculator and look you know i was an industrial engineer right like okay somewhat serious job somewhat real responsibilities but i had you know bandwidth to speculate on stocks but you know if i was like a brain surgeon like i don't want my brain surgeon thinking about stocks you know like, <laughs> the brain surgeon should be focused on brain surgery and it's like if, if okay if you don't if you don't have the capacity to focus on it, to your point, you got to pay somebody to do that. Yeah, we need savings technology. It seems like just kind of a fundamental thing. Yeah, it, it really does. And, and I love your point about the brain surgeon, right? Um, and I can tell you for a fact, uh, I, I know from, so when I was a kid, uh, my father owned a dental lab where they make teeth. And I, I got to, you know, sit around with a, a lot of dentists at lunch because they were all in these medical buildings. And these guys would just sit there and talk about stocks. And these were dental surgeons, uh, you know, some of them doing, uh, you know, different types of, you know, dental surgery in the mouth, you know, from like wisdom teeth removal to, you know, other you know, other types of, you know, obviously uh, difficult surgery in the mouth. And that's all these guys were talking about, right? Like was essentially, essentially, it's almost like they, they, they had no, even with all the money that they're making, they still had no choice, but to find a way to get that money to make more money. So their current money doesn't lose value. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, before you kind of, take the red pill or orange pill, whatever you want to call it. Like this just feels like normal life. Right. Um, but once you see that there's an alternative, like all of this like fiat culture stuff just seems crazy. Was it, whether it's the excessive consumerism or the ex excessive speculation and risk assets, like we don't have to live like this. There should be a better way. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Um, okay. So, um, you know, moving on from here, you know, you, you got into Bitcoin, um, and when did you start Scarce.City? Well, you know, so I got into Bitcoin early, mid 2017, rode up the bull cycle, rode down the bear cycle. But even in the bear cycle, uh, you know, I was totally hooked. And 
all of the media I was consuming was related to Bitcoin. All of my excessive attention was going into Bitcoin. And it got to a point where, you know, I just found it hard to focus on anything else, especially my day job that was, which was not related to Bitcoin. Uh, so there's this kind of realization where if I want to be productive as a professional, my job needs to be related to Bitcoin. Uh, so I, you know, I, I was thinking about different ways to get into the business and, uh, I think it was only, it was just a couple of years ago, but it was ch more challenging then because the technology development side of the space was all focused on kind of the protocol layer, which I don't have an aptitude for. Uh, I didn't really see myself as like a content creator. Um, so I started thinking about, okay, like what can we, what can I do with Bit with Bitcoin, you know, that I have the skills for. A lot of my background, as I mentioned, is in retail. And after, you know, doing the industrial engineering focus, I did uh, spend some time more on the product development uh, part of like e-commerce. So that's something that I felt comfortable with and something, you know, where I felt like I could uh, be competent. So, you know, I had a bias towards that direct direction. And as I was getting into the Bitcoin community and Bitcoin Twitter, I was always drawn to the creative aspect of Bitcoin Twitter, especially Bitcoin art. You know, I think um, the art that's created by Bitcoin artists, like it, uh, it, it draws people in, right? It makes... Uh, this movement seemed tangible and it does such a great way of uh, telling Bitcoin's story and, you know, how, why Bitcoin is an imp important. Uh, so I was drawn to that immediately. And I guess it was just, it was just over a year ago, the, you know, Ethereum platforms were popping up with the NFTs. And I started noticing a lot of the Bitcoin artists, artists that I had been following, they were selling their work for ethereum and uh you know like i get it no fault to them like they're trying to make a living creating art and mm -hmm. if they're able to do that they're able to create more art which is overall great but uh i, I had to believe that there was a way to sell their art in a way that's more authentic to authentic to bitcoin which fundamentally is you know selling it for bitcoin yep uh, so I started thinking about, okay, what can we do here? Obviously we are little, we are limited in the kind of tech stack that Bitcoin offers. Um, but I started brainstorming, okay, you know, what is available to us today? And we came up with some like really rudimentary things and things kind of progressed from there. And, you know, fortunately the technology has developed really fast and just kind of given us more and more options as we've progressed. I, I, I really like that a lot. Um, and, and I like the way that you put that, right? Because it, it's true. I, I did start to see a bump up in, uh, you know, in, in Bitcoin, essentially, you know, Bitcoin artists and essentially having to sell their, you know, their art for ETH, you know? Um, so it is, it, it's really nice to, you know, it's really nice to see, that you were able to, you know, do this and be, I, I'm assuming that you were able to do this because of the lightning layer. Yeah. So even before we started doing lightning auctions, yeah. um, our first sale was 
basically using Bitcoin's key pairs to prove the authenticity of face masks. Uh, so the way this worked was customers, as they're placing their order for a face mask, they input a Bitcoin address that they generated and therefore they own the private key of. And we would print that public address on the face mask. We would also display it on the product page so that when they you know, receive their face mask, they see, okay, my public address is on there. I had the private key for this. So only I can prove that this face mask is authentic by signing a message with the private key. So, you know, it was kind of like a gimmicky thing. It, it, you know, obviously no one really cares that much about the authenticity of their face, back, face mask, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was meant to be a proof of concept. Um, if it worked for face masks, technically it could work for anything else. Now that was a tremendous learning experience for us in many ways. And um, while, I, while I do think we will continue to you know, bundle in items like clothing in the future, we'll have a better way to do it than how we did it then. Uh, but yeah, there was like two really big uh, things that came out of that sale. And one was like a third of our transactions were over lightning. And at that point, I hadn't dug into lightning, you know, I'd kind of been a passive observer of it. And it was seeing, um, seeing how many people preferred to transact over lightning that made me realize, okay, I, I need to understand this thing and started with getting a lightning wallet. And with that first transaction, I had the aha moment that like, this is okay, this is definitely a thing. And uh, I need to understand this better. And started realizing that uh, you know lightning can be used for so much more than just transactions. Uh, another big thing that came out of that sale was uh, we got the attention of uh, Chief Monkey, who's gone on to become our MVP Bitcoin artist, and you know he uh, he believed in what we were doing and mm. came out with a bunch of great ideas, introduced us to the Bitcoin artist. Uh, community and they all gave us a ton of feedback about what they were looking for in a Bit Bitcoin marketplace. And, you know, since then they've become our all-star team and they give us our best ideas. They improve all of the ideas we have uh, and kind of bring that all together. It was actually Chief Monkey, as we we're learning about Lightning, the Lightning Network together, he came up with the idea for uh, Lightning Auctions, which, you know, fundamentally is under collateralizing auction bids with Lightning Network payments. So that's kind of how it's, it's, start, it's gone from its starting point to where we are now, more or less. I, I really like that a lot. And uh, shout out to, uh, to Monkey, uh, to what is it? It's Monkey in Chief or Chief? And Chief, Monkey? Chief Monkey. Chief Monkey. <laughs> shout out to him. Um, I, I always go to check out uh, check out his site and check out uh, his art. I actually uh, bought a, uh, a piece of his art uh, secondhand through, you probably know this gentleman as well, Vizik. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you do. Vizik yeah. loves the Bitcoin art and has one of the most, I think maybe has the most extensive Bitcoin art collection that I've ever seen. Um, yeah, Bazik, he's, you know, he's, he's in our, uh, creator community. Oh, for sure. Uh, and, and he's, he's given us a ton of great feedback because he's the guy who he's like the OG Bitcoin, uh, collector. Oh you know, yeah. He's been, he's been in the, um, the Bitcoin talk forum since the very beginning and trading collectibles and has learned so much about the game theory around auctions specifically. 
uh, through that process and helped us identify potential vulnerabilities in our system as we were developing the product. So that's just one example of how you know our community has helped guide our product development. I think that's I, I think that's absolutely uh, amazing. And um, okay, so um, so obviously uh, there's physical art that can be purchased at the site. Um, are uh, have you guys uh, gotten into NFTs yet? We have not yet, uh, and you know, not that you we should, are very, but you know, we are we are very interested too. Yeah, uh, and you know, that's a whole other story that you know I'd love to dive into. But at the moment, you know, it is possible to mint transfer Bitcoin-based NFTs using some protocols, but you know, we're looking for a protocol that we feel like has a real shot at becoming. Um, you know, a strong ecosystem for the future. Uh, so we are looking at the developments that are happening happening right now, specifically around RGB, which yep. is technically a layer three protocol that works on Lightning as well as uh, the base layer. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're hoping for big things with them and uh, being able to create NFTs in a way that uh, has a real shot at uh, taking a lot of this kind of digital art market share away from Ethereum. Uh, so yeah, big plans in that direction in the future. Okay, very cool. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. Um, RGB is really coming along. I uh, I joined the uh, the Telegram and I kind of just lurk in the uh, in the room and I just you know kind of watch the the conversation and it's really uh, it, it's fascinating to see it all develop. I mean, people, you know, it, it's it's so interesting, right? Like you go to a company and people are paid to collaborate all together. You know, like they're, they're actually being paid for this as a job. And then you go into yep. an open source community where nobody is or very few people or whatever it is like um, everybody is just contributing more or less because they they want to and they can. Um, and it I just find it works so much better. It's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, it really is amazing, isn't it? Uh, and yeah, you're right. You know, when you get that organic contribution, it's. Uh, you know, people are kind of genuinely motivated and, uh, you know, hopefully many of them will go on to become part of the economy of, of, of that protocol or whatever that project is. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it does just make things so much more authentic from the beginning. So I, I just want to switch back here to Scarce.City because I'm, I'm curious. Okay, what, what is the, um, what, what is, if you don't mind uh, sharing, what is the most uh, expensive item that you've sold? Like how much? So we're very early on here, but uh, our <laughs> first, our first lightning auction uh, with Chief Monkey, you know, he came up with the idea. He had to be the guinea pig for this thing. That's uh, right. I mean, and he created an amazing piece. I, I highly recommend you check it out on our website or or his. Uh, a a uh, it's called Relentless Optimism. It's a Bitcoin Phoenix, which was inspired by. Uh, the Economist magazine cover, I think from like the late 80s, where they were calling for a new world currency, right? And of yes. Course they, and their mind, it was, you know, a collaboration among G7, G20, whatever. And uh, yeah, I think it's become somewhat of a, a meme in Bitcoin. And he, um, he did it amazing justice through this absolutely massive uh, mosaic 
where he partnered with Mosaic Rocks. And it's just this like stunning Phoenix uh, studded with Mosaic Rocks. And it's clutching a physical Bitcoin and uh, taking off into flight. Uh, so a beautiful piece and it did really well in our first auction. Uh, you know, there was a ton of participation, I think like 53 bids in total, 19 different bidders. And the winning bid was one Bitcoin. Exactly. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm looking at it right now. Um, wow. That is a really nice piece. Yeah. It's so special. And, you know, especially for the timing of things, uh, when it sold, Bitcoin was just kind of hovering around 19,000 and everybody's eyeing that like all time high. And sure enough, you know, maybe a week after it was sold, rocketed off to uh, somewhere where we are today. So it was just perfect timing of, you know, the, the Bitcoin Phoenix taking flight. Hmm. I, I really like it. So, OK, uh, if you don't mind uh, and again, you don't have to answer this question, but so how does it work for for you, right? Like the artist, um, you know, the artist decides to auction, you know, their, you know, their art through you. Do they, uh, I mean, do you automatically get paid some type of commission, uh, when, when the auction is over or how does that work? And it's okay. If you don't want to answer it's fine. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. We're taking a fee off of whatever the sale is and, you know, we're still very early. So we're figuring out what that, what type of tea makes sense for different types of sales okay let me ask you let me ask you this um do you see what you're doing as possibly developing into uh like an ebay of sorts but specifically for lightning and bitcoin it's a really good question right. uh it certainly is on the table <laughs> You know, we're, we're, we're still figuring this out, you know, and there's, a, there's different directions we could take this. I think uh, the opportunity I'm most interested in is in the digital art direction. And I know that's, um, that's a controversial take in Bitcoin, uh, but I have pretty, I have strong conviction around that. Now, of course, that depends on us getting the right protocol to make it work. And that's out of our hands. So we do need to think about other options. And it is really interesting to think about a Bitcoin-based eBay that uh, you know prioritizes many of the many of the properties of Bitcoin, specifically like being permissionless and, and you know trust minimized. Um, you know, I think there's something really special about our site. You know, it's super simple and I mean it's totally rudimentary. We have a ton of improvements we can make, and we you know our roadmap is packed full with those improvements. But even today, just being able to go in, like you don't have to, you don't have to sign up for an account. You don't have to put in, create a password. Um, you don't, obviously you don't put in any credit card information. You just go in, say how much you want to bid. Uh, we do ask for an email address, but it can be, you know, any email address. We just use that to verify the winner. And uh, you're just paying a lightning, lightning payment from there. Like it's, it's essentially permissionless. And going through that user flow, when you're used to the traditional apps that make you go all through all these kind of hoops, to, especially to buy something, uh, it feels it's it's so empowering, right? So I think um, I think there I think there's something there for branching out beyond Bitcoin art, even maybe Bitcoin goods. I have had people reach out to me 
uh, wanting to sell like <laughs> someone asked if they could sell a car <laughs> on, our, on our site. Uh, people wanting to sell domain names, people wanting to sell wine. I mean, you know, there's definitely demand for people wanting to sell all types of things. Now, the question is like, do people also want to buy those things? And, you know, does it make sense for us to do this? Because it's not, it's not an easy thing. Like, you know, we're dealing with physical goods here. Not only do we have to uh, make the transaction happen, but we got to make sure the whatever's being sold goes from point A to point B. And, um, you know, the stance we're taking on that right now is we want to kind of give the white glove service and make sure the buyer and seller feels totally comfortable every step of the way on that. And that takes a lot of work, right? So uh, yeah, all things, um, all things to figure out and we're learning as we go, but I think it's a really interesting opportunity. Okay, so I, I think you definitely have something here, something, anyway, something way bigger than what it is right now. Um, yeah, man, this is very cool. Um, and one of the big things is the service. So I, uh, I totally agree. And uh, I think you would agree with me that people would even be willing, you know, people would be willing to pay to get that service. Yeah, I think it's especially important when we're dealing with, um, you know, in the Bitcoin space, a lot of people don't want to give up their identity, starting with the artists like Chief Monkey, you know. He doesn't want like he's, he's chief monkey. Like that's all you need to know. Like, <laughs> but there's certain risk when you're dealing with uh, pseudonyms, right? Like, y- y- there's no. It's, it's true. It's much harder to have a reputation system, right? And it's harder to hold people accountable if they do something wrong. So that's kind of where we come in, and you know, we take on that risk for you and help mitigate the risk. Uh, and also on the the customer side, like we don't we want as little information from our customers as possible. We're even making it policy now to delete mailing addresses once items have been delivered. Nice. Uh, so, you know, we want, um, yeah, we want to respect people's privacy and that's, that's a great thing. I think it's the right thing to do, but it does bring up uh, other operational challenges, but that's, you know, these challenges are our opportunity as a marketplace. I, I love it, man. And uh, like I said to you before, I, I think you're building something. Uh, it's, it's it's way bigger than uh, it's way bigger than what you have right now. I, I, you know, I, I always like to bring up the topic of um, NFTs on Bitcoin podcasts because I feel like it's it's an area where it's um, you know it's it's obviously very controversial. Yeah, and um, I think uh, the consensus within Bitcoin is that. It's total bullshit, frankly, right? Uh, yeah. So I, I like to, I like to stir up the pot a little bit uh, and just <laughs> you know give my opinion so people have another opinion to think about. Um, but cool. Look, I yeah. So if you don't mind, I'll rip nope, on. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. Shoot, this is uh, this is the space. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So look, I I I totally kind of get where it comes from. Like Bitcoin is bringing sound money to the world. And today that is absolutely the biggest opportunity, uh, maybe maybe among all opportunities. Uh, so in comparison, NFTs seem like silly toys. Uh, that totally makes sense. 
but I don't think they will look like silly toys for too much longer. Um, I think I'm convinced that they are the building blocks of of a new kind of uh, interactive, immersive social layer of the internet that's kind of become popularized in sci-fi books like um, Ready Player One and Snow Crash, you know, that goes by the name of the metaverse. And, you know, just saying the metaverse kind of makes me cringe. And I know people hearing that term, they're probably cringing, but like, this isn't sci-fi anymore. Uh, just look at, you know, Minecraft, Fortnite, Roblox, like these games, they embody a lot of the ideas of, of a metaverse, right? Which is kind of like a virtual world where you interact with your friends and there's an economy and you're building things and you, there's entertainment and it's like this fully immersive experience. And these games have attracted, you know, a billion users, give or take, and these users are spending real money in these games, even though they're totally centralized. Uh, billions of dollars have been spent uh, among them. And the way I see it is these games are only going to improve over time. They're gonna attract more and more users and these users are going to spend more money on them for you know, virtual goods primarily. And these are virtual goods that don't necessarily help you do better in the game or the world. Uh, and they're not transferable out of the game or world. They're not necessarily tradable. So maybe sometimes they are, but not easily. So at a certain point, there's gonna be so much value locked up into these things where the users are gonna demand to be able to trade, the, trade these things on open markets and use them, these digital goods, uh, outside of that specific virtual world. And this is what NFTs are. Like by definition, NFTs are digital goods that are transferable and interoperable. Uh, so this is what's like, this is the primitive for what I think is a really big future. And already uh, Fortnite just came out this past week, uh, the, the founder, CEO, Tim Sweeney. Uh, and he said that, you know, they're going to turn Fortnite into a totally user-owned um, game. So like, I, you know, we'll have to see what that means exactly, but like all digital goods will be transferable, interoperable, uh, and maybe even like, you know, something like virtual land in the game. Uh, we'll have to see exactly. But the point is he's making a statement that, he, that Fortnite, which is like the biggest of these games is moving into NFTs. So like, this is a real thing. It's, it's definitely happening. Uh, and in parallel, you have NFTs breaking into the mainstream. Uh, NBA Top Shot uh, is a really cool project that it's worth checking out where it's like virtual uh, basketball trading cards. They have a partnership with the NBA. This thing is totally blowing up. Like there's hundreds of thousands of users, um, you know, people who have never thought once about cryptocurrency in any form, like they're totally into NBA Top Shot. Uh, you have Mark Cuban talking about how they're going to sell digital goods, Mavericks digital goods. Uh, you have Soldier Boy. He sold some NFTs this past week. So it's like, I think for a lot of people, 
who haven't already been introduced to this space because they're not necessarily into, you know, finance, economics, or technology, uh, NFTs are going to be their introduction into it. Um, and, you know, they'll probably be taken through their own rabbit hole from there. Now, the scary thing here is that this whole ecosystem is being built on Ethereum for the most part. And, you know, I brought up the financial crisis in the beginning, and I think we're seeing it today in the legacy financial markets. Again, today, we're like, you want these networks built on a solid foundation. Otherwise, you have real systemic risk. And Ethereum, look, they don't even have a consensus model. Like they're moving to proof of stake, which is totally unproven. We don't know what the token supply issuance is. It's damn near impossible to run your own node. So it's essentially centralized. You know, when it moves to proof of stake, you got to think that what like grayscale consensus, um, you know, the Ethereum development team uh, Coinbase and Binance, like they're going to have enough of the tokens to be able to exert whatever influence they want over the network. Uh, so this does not like, it really makes me nervous to think about how much is being built on top of the shaky foundation, because we've been there before. Like, you know, this is um, whether it's NFTs or even think about DeFi and everything else that's being built on Ethereum there's a lot of value being created on this network and we know what happens when value is put on a network that's not strong. Uh, so this is kind of, you know, a big motivation for scarcity to move into NFTs because I strongly believe that in the future, you know, you're going to want an option to hold your digital goods on a secure foundation, which, you know, Bitcoin, I don't think anyone can argue with is the strongest network in the world. Like I want my wealth, whether it's in pure Bitcoin form or whether it's digital goods, I want as much of it as possible on that strong, the strength of that network. Um, so look, that's my rant, but um, I, I feel like it is something that should be taken more seriously. Uh, especially within the Bitcoin community, because I think although it's not, it's not our highest priority today by any means, and I would I would never make that argument. I think it will be a very high priority uh, in the not too distant future. I think you know what I think you make an excellent case. Um, you know what I uh, when I saw the movie Ready Player One, um, that totally blew my mind, and it also kind of helped reinforce that I was in the right place in Bitcoin. Uh, and accumulating Bitcoin, right? Um, but, okay, so this is the whole thing, right? Um, th th I'll tell you what kind of, like, one of the things that destroys the NFT case for, for Bitcoiners. Um, when you see somebody buying a red square for, you know, $12,000, like, anybody can make a red square on MS Paint, and it really makes no difference, you know, like, who makes the red square? It's a square of the color red, and yes, I completely understand that art is interpretive and somebody may be willing to pay for it, which is what gives it its value. That That's totally fine. That just because somebody is willing to pay for something like that doesn't mean that it's not stupid. You know, like 
that that's perfectly fine that somebody's willing to do it, but I, I think it's stupid. Now, obviously, not all NFTs are that ridiculous, and I do agree with your point that going in the future, when all of these ecosystems are able to collide and work together, and you're actually able to, like... Like, for me, that reality of the Ready Player One reality of essentially being able to earn and buy things like in that virtual space and then have it in the real world and vice versa. Like that, that like, that's the apex. Like that, I, I think we're gonna end up seeing that. Um, but yeah, to your point, I, uh, I'd also, I'd want to be holding it on Bitcoin, you know, like at the end of the day, I would want it on, you know, the strongest ledger. Exactly. You know, so. and uh, look, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the red square uh, because <laughs> that was I hilarious, totally by the I way, <laughs> I totally get it. Look, I was, you know, I um, the, especially the NFT art scene, I was totally skeptical of it, uh, but I felt, um, a, you know, a responsibility to dig into it and, and understand it firsthand just because, you know, what we're doing is at least tangentially re related. Uh, so I, you know, I dived in head first. I bought a, I bought a piece of NFT art, uh, and I noticed, I learned some things through this process that really shaped my opinion on it. And so it all, it started out, you know, as images, right? Like 2D images, uh, easily copy and pasteable, right? And people are spending ridiculous amounts of money on them. But what that has done is it's brought in more artists who have spent more time working on these things and they figured out how to make these uh, the media associated with these nf this nft art uh much more creative much more immersive right so now you see things like videos and they're adding like you know songs to it now of course like you could argue that all of these are kind of copy pasteable in their own way um, but what it's also attracting is an infrastructure layer. So different ways to interact with these NFTs. So I don't know if you're familiar with like Beeple, but he's kind of one of the all-stars in the NFT space right now. He did this sale where he sold these smart displays hmm. that uh, displayed the, the animation of the you know, digital art. Um, okay, that's not, you can't copy and paste that. It's still digital art. Uh, but only, you know, there's actually a physical item associated with it. And I've seen a lot of like the smart display stuff and all of, a lot of it like doesn't appeal to me, but those were actually pretty cool, I thought. And I think, I mean, obviously like it was like a million dollar plus sale. So a lot of people saw value in that. Um, and then going back to, into the vir virtual world metaverse stuff, like if you believe in that future and... NFT art continues to evolve, of course, you're going to have like fully immersive NFT art. That's like, okay, if you're wearing a VR headset, I mean, this isn't, this isn't something that's even like, it's not like a virtual painting on a virtual wall. Like you're going to experience this thing, like some of these uh, artistic experiences and they're going to be all around you. Like they're going to be fully immersive experiences. We can't even begin to comprehend what that looks like. That's a very good point. Uh, but my point is like, you know, we're moving into areas where the experiences with these things, you can't copy paste them anymore. And that's just only going to continue. Like the flywheel is in motion. 
there's more artists coming into the space, they're spending more time into this, there's more collectors coming in, they're spending more money on this, there's more infrastructure coming in, it's, it's just going to develop and get better. So while it started from a very ridiculous place, the fact that there was demand for that has kind of propelled this flywheel, which is just not gonna stop. You know, It's only gonna go in one direction and it's gonna be with us. I like it. I may not agree with it currently, but I, I do kind of like where it's going. So, <laughs> um, yeah. for, no, it's a hey, look, man, you know, you, you make some solid points for it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I do think that it is going to be a big part of our future. So uh, interesting times ahead. Definitely interesting times ahead. Yeah, that's the point. Look, it's not going to be for everybody. That's for sure. But it's going to be a, a big part of a lot of people's lives in different forms. And look, my what we're really building towards with Scarcity is to give people the option to hold these digital assets on Bitcoin because we think that's going to be really important. Yeah, exactly. So, um, man, thank you so much, by the way, for coming on my show. This has been really amazing. Yeah, likewise. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate it. Cool. Um, so look, I, I hope to have you on again. And uh, yeah, man, I'll catch you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Chris's contact details will be in the show notes along with a link to the website. If you want to reach me on Twitter or Telegram, I'm at CoinIcarus. If you want to shoot me an email, I am CoinIcarus at funwithbitcoin.com. Thank you all for listening and catch you all next time.